Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. You're invited to join us on air asking your questions by calling in on the local rate phone numbers in the UK and the US, which can be found on ldnradio.org. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Professor Dr. Dana Flavin, who is the founder and executive director of the Foundation of Collaborative Medicine and Research. She studied medicine and science internationally for the past 30 years. Her extensive background in chemistry, biochemistry, pharmacology, nutrient biochemistry and medicine has allowed her to find new ways of enhancing patients' responses to all treatments. Many new treatments were designed specifically for patients who had little improvement from classical pharmacological agents. Many of her support measures are nutrient and diets that allow patients to remain in remission and live normal, symptom-free lives. And thank you for joining us today from Germany, and what an honour it is to have you here with us today. Well, thank you, Linda. It's a pleasure to be here, and um, I, I can honestly say that for many, many years, I was very skeptical about low-dose naltrexone because of the fact that I didn't have enough data or confirmation. And as a scientist as well as a physician, um, I have an oath that says do no harm. So I had to make sure that anything that was applied to patients would have a positive effect, um, but at the very least, no negative effect. And I, I wasn't convinced about the data because I've seen too many substances that were put out that we're claiming, oh, well, we are saving all the lives, et cetera, et cetera, and it was mainly for making money. So what I ended up doing was uh, looking at it, looking at it, being skeptical, of course, and uh, finally I, um, I met a patient that uh, had uh, gone into remission on low-dose naltrexone with melanoma, and uh, so I put my patient who had melanoma uh, and who was on a rather a broad treatment from me, and she was stage 4B. She had actually been stage 3. She went to stage 4B. They told her there was nothing else they could do. She should put her things in order, and she had a few weeks to live. And I started treating her, and I included low-dose naltrexone based on this other patient um, because it helps the immune system so much. And when I found out the data that it actually would lower immune suppressive cells and raise the immune system, I was... I was quite surprised. Uh, anyway, long story short, in, in six months, the woman went from stage 4B melanoma with metastases all over her entire body to no more cancer. And I was flabbergasted, and I realized, oops, this has to be the protocol mm. because it's obvious. And then I've been using it ever since, and um, we're seeing that it's definitely raising the immune system. I'm looking at, and I have been since I research almost every day, um, I've been looking at opiate receptors and their relationship to immune system and how can actually increase the immune system. So some of my n newer work now, I'm looking into um, the cannabinoid oil, um, the non-THC, non-hallucinogenic 
um, extracts from hemp oil and their effects on receptors in the body and how it is appears to be synergistic with low dose naltrexone. So we're we're getting closer to answers to therapies that are really effective in many, many cancers, if not most cancers. And this is surprising me because I've been looking at two major areas. One is what do all the cancers have in common? And the second is how is each cancer different? And basically by looking at what they all have in common and that's these particular opiate receptors, etc., I'm seeing, aha, the low-dose naltrexone raises the immune system in every single cancer. So it's a wonderful support for cancer patients. We often combine it with mistletoe therapy, or as I said, I'm, I'm looking right now in the, the cannabinoid um, support. Uh, this is the thing is that I think that it's a very important because they're working on certain receptors in the tumor cells that cause the tumor cells to destroy themselves. So what we're trying to do is, A, raise the immune system, B, stop the tumor cells, and C, allow the tumor cells to destroy themselves. So while I'm doing this, I'm also doing a detox on all my patients because the tumor cells just take in everything that the body shouldn't have. Some theories are that it's doing it to protect us. Um, other theories are, well, it's just a good environment for for uh, bacteria, parasites, fungi, et cetera, but we, we do a detox in regardless. And so when they go on these therapies then with low-dose naltrexone and, uh, and, and various other substances, we've got a support system that really, really helps them. It helps the immune system, number one. Um, it helps other therapies too, much to my surprise. Um, some people insist on going on conventional medicine, and we find that if we utilize combination therapies with conventional medicine, we get a tremendous success because what we're doing is we're blocking uh, cancer stem cells and we're blocking the ability of a cancer to escape. And the reason that we get metastases after they give chemo uh, or radiation therapy is that we're not actually killing off the cancer stem cells. So by using combination therapies, we're getting the best of both worlds. We're using conventional medicine, off-label drugs, n nutrition and nutrients, and we're detoxing the body from all of the things that were in the tumor in the first place so that that tumor can go. And as the Chinese say, I just got back from Hong Kong and, and mainland China, and they said, you know, we think that the tumor cells are possibly uh, in need of being allowed to go. And I thought, well, that's an interesting philosophy. Mm. And uh, Professor Dr. Senna from MIT said, yes, she thinks that the tumor cells are trying to protect us from all the toxins and pathogens in our body. And that whether or not that's the case, the main thing is, if you're going to get rid of a tumor cell, you also have to get rid of what caused it in the first place. And so that's why we look at getting rid of all the pathogens, putting them on low-dose naltrexone, making sure their immune systems can come back again so that their own bodies can fight the cancers. And I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm getting stage 4 lung cancers. That's the cancer whisperer with Sophie Savage. She should have died a year and a half ago. Now she's a famous author, and her non-small cell lung cancer is gone. And that, that was just one. And then the melanoma patient, which also knocked my socks off, she was also on low-dose naltrexone plus a combination therapy. So what we're seeing is that we're really, really reversing these cancers and I'm looking at all of the aspects of what could have caused tumors in the first place. 
was it heavy metals like we're finding in a lot of the breast cancers, or was it hormone replacement therapy like we're finding in a lot of the ovarian cancers? Um, was it possibly smoking, uh, as we're finding in some of the lung cancers, but not all. Some of them don't have that. Is it possibly a fungal infection that's been staying there forever? Or in colon cancer, is it a parasite? I was just discussing this today with, with one of my colleagues from China who's in visiting from Beijing, and I said, you know, it's very interesting because I'm finding in every one of my colon cancer patients, they all have a parasite. So we have to get rid of the, the pathogens in the, in the patients, but the low-dose naltrexone really helps to hype their immune system and to help their body to fight whatever it is that is causing or helping these tumors to grow. I, I'm, I'm amazed. I mean, I, I've been looking at this since Bihar was doing this years ago, and I was in Greenwich, Connecticut at the time, and I looked at it and I thought, well, that's interesting, but he's just trying to make a name for himself. I'm sorry, Bihari, wherever you are. He's not on this earth anymore, but the man was really good. And he saw that it worked. But I, as a scientist and a physician, with my oath of do no harm, did not want my patients to be going into, onto something else when I didn't think it was going to be that effective, when I was concerned should they be taking something else instead? If it's a matter of money, should they be saving their money and not buying this, et cetera? And the more I looked into it, the more I realized, and it took 10 years. I, I apologize to say this, but I have to be exact and I have to be sure that I'm really helping my patients. And so far what we're seeing is remission after remission after remission, and I can honestly say the low-dose naltrexone is helping tremendously, really tremendously. How many patients do you think you've treated uh, with LDN who have cancer? Well, probably about 500 with LDN. They're probably about oh, several thousand easily without. Wow, that's... Uh... I mean, this is... We haven't had success without. We have. But it makes it easier. It seems to work better. It seems to be more effective in our getting the immune system to respond. So that's the difference. And I've been fine-tuning my therapies. God, I started in 19... Oh, about 1980, and I, I began fine-tuning the therapies. In 1993, we reversed uh, cervical cancer just using nutrition and nutrients, and that knocked my socks off. And then in 2001, I reversed a stage 4 breast cancer patient with brain metastases and bone metastases that had been given a few months to live. I did that all with natural substances and, and nutrition. That was before, again, before a low-dose naltrexone. And then as I went on with tougher cases and tougher cases, the problem is that right now our environment uh, for health with our patients is so contaminated with so many pesticides, uh, plastic extracts, chemicals in the water, um, stress situations, cell phones, all of these things are enhancing uh, cancer growth and we're getting more and more cancers. And our immune systems are, are becoming so depleted from the stress alone, not to mention all the contaminants and so on, that they, we're finding that the additional support from low-dose naltrexone seems to be helping to fill in that gap that is missing nowadays. So it's helping to um, push the cancers toward remission, push the immune system to help fight the cancers. And I'm presently writing a um, presentation for my university in Leicester, De Montfort University, on off-label drugs. And one of the off-label drugs that I've already presented was low-dose naltrexone, and I said it blocks the FOXP3. 
I sent that out to um, Gus uh, Dalglish and said it blocks the Fox P3. The Fox P3 lowers immune system. You're raising the immune system. And he didn't have that article, so he was delighted. And the more I found on this, the more I was flabbergasted to see, my God, it really has an effect. It is working on the immune system. It's helping the immune system fight the cancers. I didn't expect that. I honestly say I didn't expect that. But when I found it, it was like, yes, Eureka, now we know how it works. (laughs) Wonderful. And what about certain foods? If people are being treated for cancer with therapies and LDN, are there certain foods that they should avoid to stop the cancer from growing? Well, the thing is, we know that the, the receptors for sugar and the insulin, glut receptors they're called, are much more elevated on a cancer cell than a normal cell. So sugar is out, uh, absolutely out. We keep our patients off of sugar. We keep them off of, um, they can have uh, stevia or they can have some uh, honey, particularly manuka honey, if they insist on something sweet. Um and we find that if we take them off a of white flower, now white flower is interesting because Professor um, Del Bueno, who is in Italy, is a specialist in insulin growth factor. Now, insulin growth factor stimulates tumor growth. And he said that the new flowers, not the older ones, not things like uh, quinoa or kamut or buckwheat, he said the newer flowers even rise good they will stimulate insulin growth factors in the body, and that will help stimulate tumor growth. I almost fainted. And he said, yes, this is because they've changed the weed over so many um, generations in order to have a stable product that was cheaper and easier to make, but that basically we know that the the ancient uh, grains didn't have this effect, but the newer grains do. And we also found that red meat, and this was a study from an Italian in California, and he wanted to know why no one in his village in Italy ever got cancer. And so he went back and he looked at their diet because they couldn't find anything else. They looked at the blood. They looked at uh, growth hormone and everything else, and everything was, like, normal. And they're saying, well, what the heck's going on here? And what they did was they then looked at insulin growth factor, again, what stimulates tumor growth. And they found that the people in this Italian village only ate meat once a week. So on Sunday was meat. And so by cutting out meat, they cut down the insulin growth factor. They didn't stimulate tumor growth. And it was quite fascinating because I looked at this and I tried to see how does this all fit together. So my patients don't get red meat. They're allowed, according to Dr. Livingston's work from years ago in California, they're allowed lamb once in a while. Okay, so maybe every, every 15 or 20 days they can have a piece of lamb, but that's it. And the thing is, and what we're seeing is that by cutting down uh, red meat, which is high in arginine, and arginine stimulates tumor growth, um, by cutting out uh, some patients, I tell them, please do not take these protein supplements to gain weight. Take coconut oil and take coconut milk because it will help you to gain weight. If you're, if you're cachexic, take fish oil. It will block the cachexia. Uh, but don't, don't go in that direction. So what we're seeing is that by shifting over to uh, fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, and carrot juice, which has um, incredible trace elements in it that help stabilize DNA. And I've been looking at this on the aspect of physics 
Um, I just wrote an article. I don't know if anyone will ever accept it because it's so complicated, but it's talking about how biochemistry influences physics and how physics influences cell replication. To work together, and we're actually finding that cell phones stimulate tumor growth. So I've had patients who had, this is so bizarre, uh, a breast cancer on her left breast, and she was a hairdresser, and where did she stick her hair dryer while it was on? as she was working on her patients under her left arm next to her left breast where the tumor came. We had another patient who had a tumor in her right breast, and she was always keeping her purse close to her body, under her arm, next to her breast with her cell phone on. And we now know that cell phones will increase tumor growth. So I, I look at all of these things. We see this in children in Israel where they have... Uh, parotid tumor growth from using the cell phones on the face. These are children. And so we're seeing that, yes, it does increase cell replication. Yes, it does increase tumor growth. So we, we tell our patients, look, just get a YouTube headphone. It's, I think Mercola sells it, and uh, it has uh, air on the end of it. And we tell them not to keep the cell phone on, on their body because the fact that it definitely does it stimulates tumor growth, but we're having other problems, too, with the cell phones. We're finding that, and this is coming from Austria, um, and there was just an article in Germany in what they call the Spiegel. is one of their big magazines. Indeed, cell phones are causing brain tumors and strokes because of the fact that they cause an increase in viscosity in the blood in the brain. I had two patients in Austria. One was a good friend of mine. They said she had... Um, paralysis on the left side of her body. She's right-handed. She used the cell phone on her right side of her head, but they couldn't find anything. The neurologist checked and couldn't find anything. There was a 23-year-old woman in her room with the exact same symptoms, used the cell phone on the left side of her head. Her paralysis was on the right side of her body. The neurologist couldn't find anything. I said, listen, guys, this is a tragic ischemic attack. So, Stay away from the electromagnetic fields. Obviously, we need them. We need our Wi-Fis. We need our cell phones. Put them on a loudspeaker or put them on a headphone. Don't keep it next to the body. And also, the magnetic, uh, those magnetic mattresses stimulate tumor growth. So they're wonderful if you break a leg, you want to increase circulation, etc. but they're terrible if you have a cancer because we know that they now increase tumor growth. So this is something where I look at all of the aspects of it, but... Back to low-dose naltrexone, I find it an, an imperative and excellent support for all cancer patients. I have all my patients on it now. I didn't before. I mean, I still had some great results with cancer patients, but now it's easier. Now they have a better immune system. Now I know why. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. So, well, the thing is, I think in medicine we should never be closed-minded, number one. Number two, uh, there's always room to learn. Number three, we have to do what's best for the patient. And what, what our own personal opinions are, we have to put by the side and research it further to see, am I wrong? Could I possibly be wrong? And it turned out I was wrong, but then again I wasn't. I was basically trying to see... Is there merit in low-dose naltrexone? Is it really going to do something that's worthwhile for my patients because they have many other things like curcumin and boswellia, et cetera, to take, and they're juicing and this and that? Should they have one more drug, one more off-label drug? And my answer is yes, they should, and they need the low-dose naltrexone. 
I find it imperative, really, what I, what really is a puzzle for me as a pharmacologist is how the devil does it work both in cancer and in autoimmune diseases, and yet we know it does. So this is there's more there's more research to be done, but the thing is I think that that half of the research has to be done by the scientists and the other half has to be done by the skeptics because they need to realize if something can help a patient, regardless of whether they have multiple sclerosis or any other autoimmune disease or they have a cancer, if a drug can do both, which we know there are drugs that can do both then we need to look at it and we need to not be so skeptical and to just ban something like, oh, well, it only helps in this or, oh, it only helps in that. That's not true. And there are many overlapping systems. So we look at the systems and then we say, okay, these are overlapping systems. My God, the MS patients got better. Oh, my God, the, the, the ulcerative colitis patients got better, et cetera, et cetera. If it's autoimmune, bingo. And I think that it's really worthwhile. And I think that it's working more through the receptors of the opiate receptors um, in relationship to these other diseases because I've been researching out um, receptors in relationship to inflammation. And cancer is an inflammatory disease, okay? We know it's all mutated, but it's also an inflammatory disease. So there are substances in our own bodies that will actually decrease inflammation. Uh, they're called anandamides, and I've been looking at them in relationship to uh, cannabinoid and in relationship to something called um, palmitoylestinolamide, PEA. It's a, it stimulates the same darn receptors, but I think that the low-dose naltrexone is working synergistically with them. And right now we're looking at this to see what other results can we get, how can we enhance the efficacies of our therapies in cancer patients, what's the most important what is not important, and I find low-dose naltrexone right now as important. In fact, I find it imperative as a support therapy to use in combination with other therapies to really enhance the efficacies of cancer remission. And we get it. We get it and we see it. We see it in MS and we're seeing it in other autoimmune diseases. So I think it's about time that the pharmaceutical companies backed off and said, you know what? I don't care if this isn't making any money for us, it's helping our patients and it's helping mankind. So let's take a look at this again under a really a closed microscope and see, wow, this is something worthwhile. You were saying earlier how you used to work for the FDA. What would it take for the FDA to approve LDM? Well, I think for the FDA, the problem is that they're, they're skeptical as I have been. I mean, as an FDA, I'm skeptical. I always was. I think what we need is, and here's 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 the the catch twenty two in this situation, the the, the 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 real handicap. The handicap is that FDA insists upon having a big study where they can look at um, controls and this and that, et cetera. And the problem is that. Um, nobody's going to pay for a study, well, at least hardly anyone, is going to pay for a study where there isn't um, going to be a financial profit, you see. And the fact that the, the patent's up on this a long time ago, and actually um, uh, Bahari did patent it, and then later on Doug Leach patented it in combination. Um, whether or not he could hold the patent, I don't know, but the point is that, that FDA FDA's there basically to protect the people. They're not really bad guys. I mean, I'm telling you this as a former FDA mm -hmm. official. All of them are not bad guys. Some of them are, like, impossible. But basically speaking, their job and their oath 
is to protect the public. So they want to make sure that there isn't some scam going on, that there isn't some um, hype just to make money or sell a product, et cetera, et cetera. They want to make sure that there's a situation where it really is uh, efficacious for the patient and worthwhile to allow. Now, you can't allow it as a cancer treatment because it isn't. It's a support. In fact, most of the cancer treatments should only be called support therapies. Most of them are not treating the cancer, other than an immunotherapy um, or possibly um, a vaccine therapy. Most of them are not treatments. Most of them are just a general support. The chemotherapy is not treating the cancer. It's only hitting some of the cancer, cancer cells, but not all of them, and that's the problem there. So I would say that for FDA, what they need is they need to see um, a random study of patients, and this is also with a placebo, where part of the group is shown with low-dose naltrexone and part of the group is shown without. Now, the problem is that they they usually only do this while they're on chemo, et cetera, et cetera, um, or if nothing else works, and then they wait until they've completely wiped out the immune system and everything else on the patients, and then they say, oh, well, I guess we can do a study on them because it doesn't matter anymore anyway. Um, this is part of the ignorance and part of the financial problems in relationship to cancer, uh, cancer studies. Um, I, I would say that what FDA needs is, first of all, solid facts. A, they need to know it definitely is blocking the FOXP3. B, we definitely know that the FOXP3 group of T cells are lowering the immune system, so we know that it's helping the immune system. I would like to see absolutely a study done with low-dose naltrexone and any one of the immunotherapy drugs, whether it's a, uh, inhibiting the uh, PD-1 or CTLA-4, so that we can show an enhanced efficacy of these drugs. The problem is a lot of these drug companies want to see that it works on its own, their drug, and they don't want anything else to be there because it interferes. Um, that's the bad news. The good news for the drug companies would be if they did these studies, they might be able to actually have a new patent. So they could make money, too, and help mankind at the same time, but many are like, oh, it's too much money, it's too much work. Um, but if you do the low-dose naltrexone, I mean, my my stage 4 melanoma patient was, was basically given given an exit sheet and said, go home and put your things together, you're dead, you're stage 4B. There's nothing else in the world that can help you. And she was on low-dose naltrexone plus a combination therapy and changed her diet, and by God, every single tumor went away. Brain, liver, lung, bone, everything gone. And I, you know, I look at this and I think, oh, my God, this really works. And the thing is, she was on the low-dose naltrexone with it, and I know it helped. So I just, in, in my opinion, not to, not to give it, not to allow it is, is a crime. And I think that FDA has no right to tell a patient, no, you can't try something that might help them, because it's not going to interfere with any chemotherapy. It will enhance the efficacies of immunotherapy, and the patients deserve a right to their own bodies and to make a decision on their own for what they want. And the fact that it's not going to interfere with anything else, which we already know from the pharmacology and the mechanism, then they have no right to stop it. Mm -hmm. 
I, I have not done a lot of work in autoimmune diseases because I've been predominantly concentrating on cancer. Mm-hmm. However, the data that I have read, and I research everything. I mean, I'm always researching. It's People tell me I'm crazy. This is Dana, seven days a week, you're always researching. I said, I know, but I want to know how it all um, The thing is, from what I've seen in the data, from the reports, from patients, um, it's extremely helpful. That's a very interesting point because we really don't know exactly how it's working in autoimmune diseases. Um, autoimmune diseases vary. Uh, there was a professor from Sweden, and she said that some autoimmune diseases are caused by heavy metals. For example, um, they've had arthritis cases where they had a, uh, uh, a hip implant and they were allergic to the metals. They've had teeth implants where they were allergic to the metals and they had arthritis. Um, they've had ulcerative colitis that were associated with um, bacterial infections um, or parasite infections. I had one that had ulcerative colitis and he had an amoeba. I had another with a um, Morbus Crohn. Morbus Crohn is, uh, according to the the colleagues in Australia associated with a uh, mycoplasm bacteria, again, XYZ. However, the cause of it, once it starts to hit into another, uh, another level of inflammation, it's very possible that the low-dose naltrexone is downregulating the symptoms. Okay, so basically not a cure, but down-regulating the inflammation so that you don't get the symptoms, which is like taking an aspirin for headache. If you have a headache every day and you take an aspirin every day and the headache goes away, you just stay on the aspirin and the headache stays away. Or if you're on a heart drug because it helps your heart, if you go off of it, your heart goes awry. It's kind of like low-dose naltrexone in these situations with the autoimmune diseases. You have nothing to lose because it does not increase um, the severity of the disease, but it cuts down the symptoms and cuts down the um, inflammatory conditions that are going on with the disease. Exactly how it works, I don't know. That has to do with the opiate receptors, and I know that it's a complicated area. Um, I know that's why ca- cannabis oil, uh, cannabinoil, is uh, very helpful because it hits on some of these opiate receptors. So whether it's working on that one, I don't know. But I can tell you that if I had an autoimmune disease, and I could take something that had almost no side effects and that it was not going to be toxic for my body or it wouldn't cause a heart attack like Vioxx or Celebrex, um, it wouldn't uh, cause ulcers in my stomach um, like a lot of the aspirins, it wouldn't cause toxicity to my liver or kidneys like the ibuprofen. And this drug did not have any of those toxic side effects but would downregulate the symptoms of my disease and I could live with it without having complications and have an almost normal life knowing that I wasn't going to be getting all these symptoms. By God, I would jump at it tomorrow <laughs> or today. I mean, seriously, what's the point of suffering every day? And if you take a drug that's going to be just as toxic or more toxic than the disease you had in the first place, What's the advantage? None. But with low-dose naltrexone, you don't get the negative effects, but you get the positive effects. So I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I'm, I'm, I'm a convert, but it took me over 10 years. And I have to be honest, I was really, really skeptical because I don't like patients being taken advantage of and being convinced, oh, this is going to help you, and it's only a placebo effect. And I, I shan't mention any, any compounds that are on the market that, 
that are finally off the market that were not helping people, and they were they were they were uh, extracting exorbitant amounts of money from patients, only to find out in the end it didn't work at all. I I, I want my patients to get well. I want them to cut down on their symptoms. I want their immune systems to be back normally on their feet again. And if it's an autoimmune disease, I want their immune systems to be in a situation where they protect themselves from viral infections, but they don't have the inflammatory conditions from the autoimmune disease. If we can find the cause, all the better. If it's an autoimmune disease and we find out, oh, my God, they have Borrelia, Lyme disease, oh, we have to treat the Lyme disease. If they have toxoplasmosis uh, from cats, that are creating the neurological symptoms, then we have to treat that too. If they have fungal infections, uh, then we have to treat the fungal side. This is where it's really, really important to know your medicine and to know what caused in the first place. However, if low-dose naltrexone is not going to interfere and make it worse, and you can at least do that for now, then I would do that immediately, and then I would go and look to see what the devil could have caused this in the first place. If we don't find a cause, at least we've got a treatment that will keep it in remission so the patients have a normal, healthy life. In cancer, in cancer they have nothing to lose, absolutely nothing. We've only seen positive effects. So I would say autoimmune disease and cancer, all of them, and this is this is this is something that's really hard. I can tell you this as a pharmacologist and a physician. It's really hard for us to look at something and say, well, wait a minute. How can it work in cancer where you want to um, enhance immune system? And how can it then also work in an autoimmune disease where you want to block the immune system? This doesn't make sense, you see. We try to be logical, but oftentimes, you know, science is more logical than we are. And what I'm seeing is that there are different mechanisms of action here. So it depends on the situation where it's going to work. Mm-hmm. When your patients come to see you the first time, how do you go about putting together a treatment plan for them? Well, of course, it depends on the type of cancers because I have, I have variations on a theme. Um, I've researched cancer out since 1979, and I tried to look at what were the major points to block a tumor from growing, to increase immune system, and what were the pathogens that were most commonly involved in in cancers and in in tumors. So let's say, for example, a patient comes to me, um, like Sophie um, from Cancer Whisper, and Sophie came to me and and she was, we did a Skype call, and uh, she said, well, it's palliative therapy, and they said they can't do any more for me. And I said, come on, let's get her well. First thing I do, and they could take a look at their lab data, and I tell them to send it in advance so I can see what's going on. Is there inflammation going on? Is there a bacterial infection there, et cetera? All cancer patients have fungal infections, so I have to deal with that. There's no, no doubt about it. So we often put them on oregano oil, which kills the, uh, um, the fungal infections. And I often put all my patients on dichloracetate, except for brain tumors, because it can swell the tumor in the beginning. Um, dichloroacetate blocks the acid in the tumor cells, and it has an inhibitory effect on the um, on the uh, cancer stem cells, which are uh, additional cells that come into the tumors to help the tumors to grow better. So, DCA or dichloroacetate was 
found by um, originally 1988 from Dr. Stackpole, and he found that it worked in children with elevated lactic acid. And then Dr. Michalakis up in Alberta, Canada, thought, well, hell, you, we've got, what do we have in cancer? We have an increase in lactic acid, so maybe it'll do something. I love it. I love the scientific curiosity. <laughs> Not like, oh, well, where's the proof to show that it might do something? Let's see it ourselves. And he did test it, and by God, it worked. And then I had a patient who went on it. Um, in California from the Internet without telling me. And I said, look, I have to make sure this is safe for you. I have to make sure there are no side effects, there's no long-term effects, etc. so let me research it out first. And his comment was, well, okay. And then at seven weeks later, he calls me up and says, my tumors are all gone. And I said, what? He said, yeah, when I when I DCA. But I had already started detox on him anyway, but I was flabbergasted, and I, I could not believe that it worked so well, and I thought, why the devil isn't, isn't the medical community onto this stuff? And so I've been using it as a support therapy uh, with my patients, and then we got onto other off-label drugs. We got onto metformin, finding that metformin enhanced the efficacy of chemotherapy uh, because it hits the cancer stem cells and it blocks some pathways in tumor cells that would keep them from escaping, okay? So patients that were on, on chemo, we found that they re responded better, they didn't get metastases and so on. And it was only later that I discovered that the low-dose naltrexone was really, really helpful for supporting their entire system. So this is, this is a gradual uh, introduction of different substances, nutrients, off-label drugs in patients, and it's kind of like, you know, it, I, w I wouldn't say touchy-feely. It's basically based on all the literature and the science. What are the pathways? What are the mechanisms? How can we stop this? How can these tumor cells escape? How is the immune system lowered? And then by looking at all of these and putting them together to look for the most important points, okay, that we need because there are some drugs that will inhibit at several different points in a pathway. So if we have three or four drugs that will block in this pathway, but one of them blocks in the beginning at the most important point, then you use that one and then you don't need all the other ones. It saves money, it saves compliance, and it saves time for the patients. So this is where I've gotten down to low-dose naltrexone, a handful of off-label drugs, and a handful of nutrition nutri nutrients and then by putting them on the proper nutrition, because if they don't get alkaline, their, their acid will grow in their body around their tumors. It will increase their tumor growth. Their, um, their pH changes will then allow the tumors to grow even better. And so what you need to do is get them alkaline, get them off of anything that causes hyperacidity, no milk products except uh, some goat or sheep milk, I allow that, because that doesn't seem to have the same effect as the cow's milk. So we get them off the cow's milk product. Uh, we get them, I do allow a little buffalo mozzarella and a little bit of Parmesan cheese, so you know, keep them happy. Feta cheese is okay. Um, but we find that juicing helps to reestablish the DNA. And the DNA in tumor cells, I just wrote a paper on this, I don't know if anybody will accept the publication because it's so damn complicated, but it's showing how biochemistry and physics interact with each other to allow um, a cell to replicate and uh, for transcription. And basically what I found was that um, the um, cytoplasm of a cell will send in um, growth factors for transcription. In other words, let the DNA grow. 
And this went back to a book I wrote called Molecular Alterations in Tumor Promotion in Cancer. And what we saw in that book was that substances in the cytoplasm of the cell would allow a cell to replicate and that some of these can be blocked or inhibited or reversed in normal healthy cells. So if you stimulate a cell, it'll divide. If you stop the stimulation, it won't. If it's a cancer cell, however, those, those particular enzymes that are elevated um, won't go back. Now, I don't know why the hell they won't go back, but they're blocked by things, and this is what knocked my socks off in 1979 when I read that vitamin A could block ornithine decarboxylase, the rate-limiting step in DNA synthesis, and I'm like, what the hell? A vitamin can actually block a, an enzyme that is responsible for DNA replicating? Come on, give me a break. It's a vitamin. It can't do anything. And that was my first thought, this is ridiculous, it's a vitamin, don't give me this, we've got chemotherapy and radiation and we can cut out the tumors, why would, on earth would we ever want to give a vitamin, what's that going to do in this whole myriad of, of, of chaos? And sure enough, I found that by God it did help, and so we use that in combination with all the other things. And so by using the proper combination, getting the immune system up, and that's where the low-dose naltrexone comes. In cancer, you get the immune system up to fight the cancer. The irony is that by altering these, these opiate receptors in autoimmune disease, you actually shift the immune system so it doesn't destroy itself. So that's kind of cool. And that's really interesting and unusual, and that's, where I, that's why I was so skeptical about no, low-dose naltrexone for so many years, and I was like, oh, come on, I can't do anything. And I know that, that Gus DeGleish, Professor DeGleish, was like, yeah, it really does something that says and that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, Gus, sure, sure. <laughs> and I'm, 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 I'm very, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at this like, don't be ridiculous. Pharmacologically speaking, it can't work in both. It's impossible, Gus. It's impossible, right? And so I'm, I'm, I'm like in America. They say I'm from Missouri. Show me. So I wouldn't believe it. But I research. I don't. I'm not one to say, oh, I don't believe it. I'm, I'm just going to ignore it or throw it out. What I do is I try to prove that maybe I'm wrong, and maybe there is something to it. Maybe there is some merit to this. And I tell you, I was embarrassed when I realized that Bahari was correct that it does help in cancer. Uh, B, that it does help in autoimmune diseases, and even though we don't quite know the entire mechanism yet, I think that its uh, anti-inflammatory activities are one of the major ones, and that in general works in both cancer and in autoimmune diseases, so I think that that's one of the mechanisms going on here. It's not just raising the immune system like we're seeing in, in cancer, but we're altering the immune system, and we're altering this inflammatory situation that's going on, and I suspect that that in the end will be proven to be the most, most common denominator in this, in this whole use of low-dose naltrexone. So in my opinion, it's an absolute plus. As a former FDA official, I would allow it. As a former FDA official, I would say, you know what, we owe it to our public and to the patients to test this out further. And the thing is, the problem, the only problem is, if it doesn't make a lot of money for a big drug company, they often won't do it. Because where's the money supposed to come from? You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. But these studies must be done, and they must be done to prove it. And this is something also, when a drug is no longer um, patentable, then, then you get the problem like, oh, well, nobody's going to make any money from it. That was the dichloracetate problem. 
cyclooxygenate helps tremendously in cancer and in children with congenital lactic acidosis, but that was 1988. So the new stuff that came out with Michalakis, and he unfortunately couldn't make a lot of money on it because nobody was interested, and yet he was absolutely correct. And that was for dichloracetate. So here comes low-dose naltrexone years later, and we all look at it. We, I say we as physicians and scientists and former FDA officials. In fact, while I was at FDA, and I'm looking at this thing thinking, no, this can't be. No, it can't do both. There's no way a drug can do both. No, 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 that's ridiculous, right? Okay, so we find that we can relieve a headache with aspirin, but we can also help in cancer. So we can relieve a lot of the immune suppression with low-dose naltrexone in cancer, but we can also relieve the inflammatory condition going on in an autoimmune disease like multiple sclerosis or many of the other diseases, regardless of whether they might have a Lyme's disease or, or a toxoplasmosis or an Epstein-Barr virus or, or chlamydia or any of the other potential causes of some of these autoimmune diseases, we can downregulate the symptoms. But what the heck do we have to lose by helping the patients? Nothing. Other than our pride for those of us who said, oh, no, this can't do anything. <laughs> well, how amazing that you have uh, changed your mind and all these patients that you've helped since... It's, it's you know what, I owe it to them. I, I think that there are three things that kill. One is ego, one is ignorance, and one is greed. Well, you're doing an amazing you You're doing an amazing well, job. Sorry. If you work from your heart, if your intentions are help to help mankind, and if you insist on forcing yourself to learn more and not to say, oh, well, I already know that. Just accept the fact that none of us know everything. Then you are in a situation where you can help more people, and you must. And it, to me, it's our duty and obligation, but it's also compassion. And that's what's missing in many of our medical professions today, compassion. And I think a lot of doctors are busy and don't have the time to do all the research that you have obviously exactly. done. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I'm an obsessive-compulsive workaholic seven days a week, and I'm not <laughs> really in the this stuff out. Of course, they have better lifestyles than I do, but I don't care. It's not about the money. It's about helping the patients. And they also have more patients. This is true. And they have more patients where they have the, the they don't have the time to research a lot of this stuff out. So this is why my foundation, COMED, um, the Foundation for Collaborative Medicine and Research, is trying to put together information to teach the colleagues and to teach the patients to let them know what we've learned over all these years. And I was just speaking to someone today on this, and I said, oh, my God, I have to get my book finished. I've written a, a second book on cancer. The first one is all biochemistry. I recommend it to anybody who has a disturbance in going to sleep at night because all you have to do is open the first page, and there's so much <laughs> chemistry you'll fall asleep. 
the second book is for the patients, and that's on cancer. And I said, you know, we owe it to the patients and to the colleagues to let them know what works, why it works, how it works, not to go into heavy-duty scientific details. We can put that in little gray print and say science so that for those people who think, oh, my God, I can't, I, you know, I'm not going to do a Ph.D. in this. I just want to get well, um, so that they can see this stuff and learn it, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. And I started the foundation in 2001 when I reversed a uh, uh, stage four breast cancer patient who was given basically three months to live, and she had a thirty. She was thirty nine, had a six year old daughter, and she said, "Doc, I had radiation, I had chemo, I had uh, a Herceptin inhibitor. Um, they they tried everything. The brain metastases have grown. They're all over my brain, and they said I have three months to live, and I just want to see my little girl go go into the school for her first day of school. And this was in April." was September, and I said, oh, my God, you know, what are we going to do? So I, I found treatments. Maybe I'm lucky. Maybe God just sort of says to some of my other patients, give this to Dr. Flavin. She might be interested because mm-hmm. I'm interested in everything. So I read all these articles on Boswellia serrata, and I put her on it and detoxed her and changed her diet and got her off of the red meat and the milk and this and that, you know, the basic stuff. Got rid of fungi and parasites and viruses, and in three months she had no more cancer. Well, and when she came to me with this X-ray, I I just I couldn't believe it. Now today I would have her on low dose naltrexone, but in those days I didn't know about low dose naltrexone. But this is how we learn, and this is what I want to get out. I want to get this out for patients. So say some prayers that we get some funding that we can at least just get the book done, so that the patients have this because I think that it's really really important that we all work together to help the patients and help mankind and help those people who are suffering. They don't have to suffer. That's the main thing. Mm-hmm. And we can help them. Well, I'm going to have to stop you, you there. Said. We have run out okay. of time. But we will have you back another day for definite because well, I know I you've got so you, much I to tell us. Thank you for all you're doing. God bless you for all you're doing. It's wonderful. Thank you. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, linda, L-I-N-D-A, at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.